0: Welcome to the Power Hour, I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers, and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that The Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to The Power Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by clinical psychologist and author of Sisterhood Heals, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford. Dr. Joy is an award-winning podcast host and the Huffington Post described her as the psychologist who is changing the face of therapy for black women. Dr. Joy, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you.
0: Well, firstly, for any of my listeners who don't know about you, your incredible work, your podcast, your book, I think the first place I'd love to start is talking about understanding more about your work, specifically around group therapy and the power of gathering, community, connection. What is it about a group of people, a group of women being together that is so powerful when it comes to therapy and healing?
1: Oh, that's a great starting question. I appreciate that. Um, You know, so I think before I was even trained as a psychologist, I think there was something about a gathering of women that always felt very special to me. Um, My mom has six sisters. And so I feel like I have grown up in this kind of cocoon of black women's energy and like gathering and just understanding like how special that was. And I don't think it was until I got to grad school and started learning what group therapy was and the power of group therapy that I was able to connect to oh, this is kind of like what it feels like when Black women gather, right? And just the attention that we are paying to one another, the laughing. And, you know, typically there will be tears depending on what's shared. Um, But I think that there are some things that happen in therapy groups that are very similar to the things that happen when Black women gather. And so the book is really um, an attempt to kind of pull some of that out and to talk about how some of the ways that we gather can be very healing for one another.
0: Because mm. if everyone who's done maybe talking therapy, whether that's in person or maybe even online since the pandemic, I know a lot of people have started to do therapy online with, with uh, professional therapists, and it can be a very intimate and vulnerable thing, you know, to uncover experiences that you may have had traumas uh, to navigate issues that you're facing in your life now so how do yeah how does it vary i suppose from that kind of intimate setting and, and uh, into going into a group of do do typic- do people typically know one another before or is it kind of meeting new people
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so group therapy typically works best with strangers, um, because of course, with the people in your life, you have all this history, right? So you may feel judged about sharing certain things. Um, So group therapy in itself is typically a group of strangers, it works best that way, because you don't come in with all these stories. Um, And so sometimes groups are built based on people coming in with a similar kind of concern. So let's say we have a group of a, um, a group based on people who have experienced recent breakups or something like that. And then other times the groups that I am most familiar with are just kind of people who have a variety of concerns. Because the idea behind group therapy is that it really isn't as much the content of what you're bringing into group therapy. It really is that we are connecting on the emotions, right? So even though grief for me may be related to the loss of a loved one, and your grief may be related to the loss of a job we can still both connect on what it means to lose something that was important to us or lose someone who was important to us. And so group really is kind of foundational or based on the idea that, um, you know, we are never alone with anything that we are struggling with. And so sometimes when you go into a group, you realize like, oh, this thing that I have been hiding or feeling really ashamed of, somebody else really connects with it and I don't have to feel ashamed about it
0: gosh so many questions I have already buzzing around in my mind but before we get to all of those questions I also think that it's really important maybe some of the listeners who maybe they don't understand okay when I introduced you and I'm talking about specifically therapy for black women you know some people might before we go any further I think it's important to talk about why therapy is particularly important for us for women of color for black people and what unique challenges they might face when they are seeking mental health support
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, you know, therapy can be helpful for lots of different people. Um, But I specifically focus on therapy for Black women and girls because I think that there is an additional stigma related to mental health for the Black community. So many of us have not grown up with family members who have had therapy. In a lot of ways, the mental health field has been weaponized against us. If we look at historically, you know, there was at one point um, something called drapetomania, which was a psychiatric disorder for slaves who ran away from the plane. Right. So in a lot of ways, the history of the mental health field and psychology has not been welcoming and affirming of black people. And so it is only recently that we are understanding um, what mental health concerns and how they can look different in the black community. And so a lot of my work is really to kind of break down some of that stigma to help people understand all of the different ways we can take care of our mental health and to, to really normalize the idea that it's okay to ask for help. Right. And that we don't have to kind of always have this strong persona. Or pretend as if we are not hurt when we are, um, and so a lot of the work we do at therapy for Black girls is aimed at making these mental health conversations more accessible and relevant.
0: Mm, yeah, and there's so many layers, of course. To yeah, the stereotypes that people even hold about themselves, let alone the yes. you know other people's expectations of us as well. So let's dive into the book because you've written the book Sisterhood Heals. Where should I begin? Joy, firstly, when I got an early copy, I was so lucky I received an early copy um, as we share the same publishing house. And I typically listen to audiobooks because I'm not a very fast reader. So if I listen to a book, I can often consume the entire book, um, you know, whilst I'm running, whilst I'm driving, whilst I'm cooking. But to sit down and to, to read a book, I have to really, you know, carve out the time and the space. And honestly, I consumed the entire book in a matter of days, which for me is rare. Like I can't read a whole book in days and I read the whole book in days. And I felt so, honestly, I felt so normal that sounds strange but like reading the book was very validating for me so there were lots of things in the book where i found myself being like aha that's me that's me like there was no one there for me to kind of go this, this is me you know i felt very normal and um i was really grateful as well for my own uh, younger sister for my own network of female friends i have some incredible women, some incredible female friendships in my life, which I kind of I, I've discovered and developed over the last few years. So it made me also crave connection with those people, like, you know, maybe want to pick up my phone and, and arrange to meet with them. So firstly, thank you very much for, for writing oh, this wonderful welcome. book. And yeah, let's let's talk about it, because, you know, you so eloquently describe the magic, the joy, you know, of, of the gathering of, of black women being together. and. There was just so much in there I think that like I said evoked all of these feelings but enough enough about me and 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 how I felt reading it over to you Dr Joy why did you why did you firstly write this book and what was your hope for the readers.
1: Hmm, that is so affirming to hear, you know, so as I'm just kind of starting to talk with people who had early copies of the book, right, like I am just now hearing people's reactions. And so it, it feels really good to hear you say that. And I think that is exactly what I want to have happen when people check out the book, right? I wanted to kind of spur you into action to talk to some of those friends that you haven't heard from for a while. Um, you know, because there there's a lot of conversation right now around like the loneliness epidemic, right, and how people are really craving these connections and how harmful it is to both our psychological and physical health when we are not connecting with other people. And so I really hope that the book encourages people to kind of pick up some of those connections to prioritize the relationships with the women in their lives, because in a lot of ways they are life-saving. And so I really wanted people to be able to have some language for this thing that kind of happens between Black women when we gather with the people we know, but also with the women we don't know, right? Like there's a thing I think that happens just when we see other Black women kind of out in the world that often feels very connecting and very grounding to me. And so the book really was an attempt to give language to some of that and to think about how we can strengthen some of those connections and add that as a protective in a, in a, a way that boasts all of our mental health together.
0: Mm. yeah it is incredibly important I talk a lot about personal and professional well-being you know I work in the well-being industry and I go and talk to organizations about structures and tools and things they can do to support emotional physical and mental health and it's interesting because often people they might expect me to talk about physical activity sleep nutrition but often they don't expect me to talk so much about connection and about purposefulness and about doing things in service of others and having yeah having relationships you know inside and outside of your work and it's just it's so impactful for our health and I think where so many of us have moved to different work lifestyles so working from home more uh, i've i've been you know a freelance entrepreneur kind of you know multi hyphen for so long that i i guess i'm maybe more used to it but the thing i'm hearing from so many people in organizations is that they are really missing human connection face to face gatherings kind of just creative energy that happens when they're with their colleagues and yeah i think if someone's listening to this i'm probably more on the extroverted side i enjoy joining the dots of different people different groups i'm quite happy to host things and you know invite people and speak to strangers that's that's always been my my way But it's not like that for everybody. And so some people might say, yeah, I'm experiencing this loneliness. I'm working from home a lot. My lifestyle's changed since the pandemic, but I don't feel that I have that network or I don't have those women that I can reach out to. And they're reading the book. They might be like, oh, I want that, you know, really bad. So yeah, what would you say to those women? How could they start to build some of these relationships?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, luckily, there is an entire chapter in the book called, you know, finding your people, right? Because I do think that is something that a lot of people struggle with. Like, I really want this. I really crave this, but I don't know where to find it. Um, and so I think online is a great place to start if you are an online person. And I think a lot of us, even if we weren't before the pandemic, have very much become online people because, you know, we had to shift that way. But I think finding different groups and affinity groups on in places like Facebook or um, following different hashtags even on a place like Instagram or TikTok can connect you to other people who are interested in the same kinds of things. And I think it's really important to really approach these things kind of casually because you don't want to have so much expectation like, oh, okay, I'm going to join this Facebook group and find my new best friend. That could happen. But I think going into it with that intent sometimes adds an unnecessary pressure. So I want to help to take that off of you. But I think just finding people who are interested in the same kinds of things that you're interested in is a good place to start. I also think that it's important for us to look around the background of our lives. So I think a lot of times there are people who are kind of in the background of our life who could become more foreground people with a little bit of effort. So is -hmm. there a mom that you see in the carpool line every morning that you, you know, think could be friendly and like maybe you all could grab a cup of coffee after after drop off? Or is there somebody who is in one of your exercise classes that you could say, hey, can we grab a smoothie after after we're done with yoga? So I think just looking around at are there people in your life who kind of you see and kind of have more casual relationships with that could maybe become somebody who is more significant to you with just a little bit of effort.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'm that person, definitely, who's always, you know, talking and and, and inviting people to things. But I know, like I said, I, I definitely know people who say that they, they just find that so, so difficult. Um, mm-hmm. Also, another thing that you talk about in the book, I think it's in chapter four, maybe at the start, you talk about the idea of holding space and the judgment-free zone, which, again, I mentioned I have some very wonderful female friendships and I have this judgment-free zone. You know, you can say anything, you can beat anything, you can look whatever and you can just be honest and 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 share and i think that's so so important so yeah why is it so necessary because i I think as well we have we might have lots of acquaintances or lots of people that we know but we might not Mm. feel that that space where we actually can be any version of ourselves why is it important for us i suppose to kind of let go of the uh, i guess false mask of confidence or work persona or being a perfect mom and actually be who we really are
1: Hmm. I think the, the most important reason is that that is not sustainable, right? Like wearing those masks of like perfection and, you know, strength and all of these things. It's just not sustainable. And at some point you will see cracks. And so I think in our girlfriend circles and our sister circles are often the places where we can take those masks off really easily, right? And if you have not done that with your circle up to this point, I invite you to, to take a little step and, you know, be brave and put some things out there because I think we don't don't always give our circles credit for what they can actually hold for us, right? So we have this expectation that we have to kind of have to put on this brave front when really it is okay oftentimes to fall apart in front of our friends. And if that has not been the case for your circle, I would wonder why, right? Like, is there something happening in the dynamic where people don't feel like they can fall apart? And and what role do you play in kind of perpetuating this idea that this is not a safe place to fall apart? Because again, it's just not sustainable. And so I think with our friends are one of the places that it often does feel comfortable to fall apart and not have to wear those masks that we have to wear in so many other places in our lives
0: yeah I think my from my own experience typically and also for other friends have told me that sometimes it's a feeling of you don't want to bring other people down so sometimes people mm. will say you know actually they don't want to really share and you know someone asks you how you are or how's it go you know i don't know if it's a relationship issue or a work issue or yeah. keep raising kids is difficult and they'll go you know what i don't want to burden you with this so let's just you know mm. everything's fine let's just talk about you yes. how's what and it's like they don't want to share the truth because if it's really difficult and challenging and hard and if maybe it has been for quite a while I have those friends that say to me they're like oh you know after three months four months five months they're like I don't want to become that friend who's always like a downer so then they just pretend that everything is fine and I I know that Mm -hmm. myself because I'm often an uplifter I'm an encourager I think often you know in the past when people would ask me I would just be like yeah 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 because I wanted to lift the energy of those people regardless Mm -hmm. of how yeah, draining that is and how sometimes not fake, but it's just, you know, it's not
1: the whole, it's not the whole self. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think you bring up a really good point because I think a lot of us experience this, like not wanting to be a burden. And oftentimes, when I have clients or other people who come to me with this kind of concern, I will turn the question around and say, If that person came to you with this same concern, what would your response be? And often it is, Of course, I would make time for her. Like, of course, I would want her to tell me I want to help her through this or, you know, help however I can. But for some reason, we create this narrative in our own heads that we are being a burden. And what ends up happening is that we are. Are not allowing the people in our lives to show up for us in the same ways that we show up for them. And there should be this reciprocity in friendships. You know, our people want to show up for us, but sometimes we will not create space for them to do that. And so I think being able to share the truth of what exactly is going on with you is one way that you do create space for your friends to actually show up for you.
0: So we've talked about this feeling like a burden and also finding it difficult to ask for what you want and what you need, even once you figure it out. So let's say you've started on the journey of of therapy yourself and you start to learn and understand, okay, these are some things that I need. These are some boundaries I might set. This is maybe some of the things that I could ask for. It's really hard to do right? It's really hard to do. I think even in your therapy session, you're like, oh, great. I'm going to set boundaries and I'm going to say no. And then when those moments arise, especially with relationships that might have a long history, uh, family dynamics, long friendships, it is so hard to implement. So Dr. Joy, could you provide (laughs) some practical tips, some strategies for self advocacy and empowerment when it comes to actioning the things that we know we need to do to support our mental health?
1: Hmm. So I think one way to get ahead of the things that we know will be difficult for us is to let people know that they are difficult, right? So if you can have a conversation with your friend and say, hey, you know, I really want to work harder on setting boundaries for myself. Would you call me out gently when you notice that I'm not doing that, right? So can you help hold me accountable in this way? I think one, it, it gives you an accountability partner so they can also help you to kind of reach this goal, but it also gives them context for things that may be happening, right? So if they know that this is an area that you're working on, when they see it happening, you've already had the conversation with them. And so they can also think like, oh, okay, this is not her being you know, dismissive or whatever. I know that she's working on setting boundaries. So I think having the conversation with people and like letting people know what's going on with you is actually a really great way to kind of help to increase your own self-advocacy, but also bring your circle into helping you create that advocacy for yourself as well
0: yeah I've seen people do this like the skill and I'm always I'm always I just admire them if anything when I see people set those boundaries and they just say no I can't attend thank you they don't mm-hmm. follow up with why and I'm sorry. They just, you know, and I'm always like, wow, I just, you know, you respect them more. You don't, you don't feel a way about when somebody sets a boundary with me anyway. If right. anything, I respect and try to kind of um, learn from that behavior. But I find mm-hmm. it incredibly difficult. Listeners of this podcast, if they've been listening for a long time, they may have heard me say before that I'm a recovering people pleaser or that I, I overcommit. That was my thing at the start of this year. I was like, that's something I've got to stop overcommit committing because you know time is arguably I say the most valuable thing that we have it's the most valuable thing we can give to another person our children our partner and so when you overcommit, everybody suffers as a result especially me and at the start of the year I did I do think I was getting it but already I guess we're halfway through and mm-hmm. those the diaries getting busy things are happening every day and I find it incredibly hard especially mm-hmm. you know social invitations to say no I can't make it sorry Oh, not with mm-hmm. not, not even with the apology but just no I can't make it. It's yeah. why is it so hot? <laughs>
1: Well, I think it's just a scale, just like anything, right? Like we are, we're not robots, right? So we're not going to ever be a hundred percent at anything. But I think when you recognize it's something that you want to work on, you do it and you give yourself grace in making mistakes, right? So, so I think that this is a perfect example for you to realize like, okay, here we are at the year halfway mark. And I realize I'm slipping back into some behaviors I don't like. So giving yourself permission to start over, like, okay, I need to reassess, like, what was I doing in the beginning of the year that? I've lost, and how can I add that back into you know into my schedule so that I can create better boundaries for myself? I think giving ourselves permission to kind of start over as often as we need is also something that's really important when you're thinking about how to advocate for yourself and being graceful with yourself. You know, when when other people make mistakes in our lives, we typically say, "Oh, it's fine. You'll do better next time." But for ourselves, we tend to be very harsh and critical, like, "Oh, you messed up. Like here you go doing this thing again," and that's not actually going to be a helpful motivator like shaming ourselves into new behavior is not typically very effective.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm going to write that down because it's, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's definitely been a long life lifelong habit of mine to almost pride myself on, you know, focus and consistency and discipline. So I definitely need to practice self-compassion when I make mistakes. It definitely makes me feel as though when I accept my own mistakes I'm also more accepting of other people's mistakes so yes thank you Dr Mm -hmm. Joy I am I'm going to continue continue to do the work
1: (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices
0: I also would love to talk to you about a specific part of the book which I just like highlighted the page and it was talking about the typical roles that we play within a group. So the leader, the wallflower, the firecracker and the peacemaker and again Mm -hmm. very interestingly when you read the book you'll see parts that you think ah that's me or in this instance I was kind of like well maybe I'm a half of this half of this but I typically lean into this role um and I found that really really interesting so can you share a little bit about that with the listeners what each of the roles are
1: hmm. Yeah. So when you think about group dynamics, there typically is a role that we will fall into. And this happens both in therapy groups, but also in our friendship circles. And so the leader, when you think about the leader of your friendship group, this is the person who if there is some event happening, they are likely the ones who have organized it, or they are the one kind of initiating lots of activities and things happening in the group. Um, The wallflower is the person who is, you know, always a very present member, but they typically are not initiating things. And they may not often say a lot, but when they do, people stop and pay attention because it's kind of like, oh, that's a really great point. And that typically is the wallflowers, wallflowers position. Um, The firecracker is kind of like what you would expect a firecracker to be. So this is the person who will address the elephant in the room. And they may not always do it gracefully or with a lot of tact, but they will be the ones to kind of, you know, put whatever the cards are on the table um, and address any kind of conflict that is happening in the group. And then the what's the fourth one? The peacemaker. The, fourth one is if, the peacemaker. Yeah. yeah, the peacemaker um, is the person who will say, hey, if, if two people in the group are not talking or not getting along, they will be the one to call you on three way and say, OK, can we have a conversation about this? So they're the one who is kind of like, you know, kind of keeping the flow going in the group and one the one who's wanting everybody to kind of get along for the interest of the group.
0: Mm, yeah, I find these things fascinating, as I said, and when you answer those kind of, you know, those quizzes that tell you, you know, my, my son, he he's always asking me if I have like an Avengers um, comic, and he's asking me, <laughs> would you choose this or would you choose this? And he's trying to figure out if I'm Batman or if I'm Spider-Man. And I love it. I love these things. Um, but what happens when you have maybe two leaders in a group or two peacemakers in a group or maybe there's no leader in the group you know how Because obviously we don't always have these kind of like functional right. ideal um roles so yeah how can people if they're thinking oh actually yeah there's there's too many firecrackers in the group or or whatever <laughs> how can we address that
1: yeah, you know, so it is important to think about the fact that these are not like hard and fast. And in some of your circles, you may be one type and in another circle, you may be someone else. But I do think if you have too many of one type of person in a group, it is a good idea for you to have a conversation around how is the the group actually functioning now if like everybody is a firecracker, right? So if everybody's just kind of putting things on the table, but there's no one kind of keeping the peace and saying like, okay, well, have we thought about it this way, then do people actually feel safe? In the group, right? Because the idea is that everybody has a role, right? And in order for the group to grow and for all of us to kind of get our needs met, everybody has a role to play in that. And if nobody is kind of, um, you know, kind of initiating activities, then do y'all go for long periods of time without seeing one another, which can then lead to a breakdown in the group feeling like it's a, a good place for everybody to even hang out. So the roles are important. Um, and I think it, the, the idea behind these roles is for you to have a conversation with your sister circle around what role do you think you're playing? What role might be missing? And if you are playing a certain role, do you even like it, right? Because I think for a lot of people who find themselves maybe in the leader position, you know, it, it kind of is a natural, like, I think some people are just kind of natural leaders, right? Like they are the, organize, the organized people. They're the ones who don't mind, you know, kind of planning all the trips and all of that stuff. But at some point that can be resentful, right? People can develop some resentment because it feels like, well, does is this friendship as important to other people as it is to me? because I'm finding myself doing all of this work. And so I think a conversation around what role you're playing in the group is just a great way for you to kind of put some things on the table to think about how is this group functioning? And is there something we could be doing better to be more of ourselves, but also to support one another better?
0: Mm. Oh, I love this because exactly that point you said about resentment. And I think often people fall into a role for a long time. So then Mm -hmm. other people in the group have the expectation that, well, you're the person who does that. That's and, you know, we have that in our relationships. Right. I think about marriages or spouses and sometimes it's like, well, you always do that. So then you assume you're always going to. But I think that Mm -hmm. communication part is so key if you're not feeling happy comfortable if you're feeling like you know often people think oh they take it for granted I always do this you have to tell people actually you know what I always do this and I'd really like someone else to do it or you know someone else to to support or take the lead for example or I think with the with the example of the peacemaker even that expectation that Okay, sometimes those people are gonna just go with the flow and they're not gonna push back and actually saying, maybe I want an opportunity to lead. You know, it's like, I think that's super, super important. And even- I'm, you know, I love to talk, as you can probably tell. But I know for some people, even the idea of like, okay, let's meet and have this conversation. They find that almost like you're making a conflict or it's this drama or why have we got to have this big serious talk? And sometimes it's like, well, just because WhatsApps and emojis and, you know, can we just meet and talk? Um, do you mm-hmm. think that, I guess, the modern world, people are less used to having in depth conversations face to face? Or is it just, a, again, a personality thing around whether we find those conversations easy or uncomfortable?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I think it can be a little bit of both. I definitely think technology has given us some easy outs for avoiding some of these difficult conversations, especially if you're somebody who's already like not interested in maybe having a more difficult conversation. It may feel easier to text. But to your point, it is there's a lot that is lost. In electronic communication, right? So I think, especially for more difficult conversations, those conversations that can be a little awkward face to face, or at least phone, is a better choice than you know trying to text through something. Um, but I also, you know, talk about in the book the the importance of having some of these difficult conversations because we're human. Again, you know, to our earlier conversation, like there will be difficult emotions that come up, things like being jealous of some of our friends sometimes, or feeling like they got an opportunity that we didn't get. And we sometimes avoid those conversations because we feel embarrassed or ashamed to even have this kind Mm -hmm. of a feeling. But usually when you can put those things on the table, it actually can make the relationship closer. So our fear is that, oh, if I tell her I'm jealous of her, she won't want to be my friend anymore. And that may happen, but most often what happens is that you're able to have a conversation about how you're feeling. And then, you know, you don't feel embarrassed about it anymore and it actually makes the relationship closer. So I do typically suggest, that if you're going to have a more difficult conversation you try to do that in person or on the phone as opposed to a text message conversation.
0: Yeah because as you said it's wearing that mask again right so pretending that you're not feeling envious when you are or pretending that you're not dimming your light you know I have a lot of successful wonderful entrepreneur friends and when they tell me they're their career successes or their joy or their new book deal or their new whatever, you know, being able to share that joy is so so important. And often they'll say to me that, you know, with different relationships in their life, they can't do that. You know, they have to kind of dim their success. And again, we're wearing those masks, but you can't have, I guess, this real deep connection with someone if you're constantly holding a part of yourself back.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it is important to think about, If you find friends in your life who that is their tendency, that they feel like they have to kind of play themselves small, like that to me indicates that something is going on in the dynamic that makes it so that they don't feel like they can take up space. So it could be an internal thing that they need to work on, but it also could be because you're taking up too much space, right? So if there isn't ever any space for them to kind of brag on themselves and like celebrate themselves, then maybe there's something that's happened that you need to take a step back and be more intentional about celebrating them and like really bringing them out of their shell. Um, And I think that 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 that's something that is often overlooked in friendships, too, is that yes, we can ask for what we need. And that should be the primary thing, right? Like, we have the greatest chance of getting our needs met when we ask for them. But when you are in relationship with other people, especially longer relationships, there are some things you know about your sister friends, like you know, the one who is likely not going to brag about her new promotion. And so as her friend, you should brag on her for her, right? And kind of trying to pull that out of her so that it is clear that everyone has a chance to be celebrated in the circle
0: joy we do not have that problem in my <laughs> friendship group everyone honestly it's like oh my gosh you are amazing you look amazing like anytime we're together it's, it's so funny if you're you know taking the photo and everyone's like oh my gosh you look sensational and I'm like you are amazing we literally gas each other to the point where we're just <laughs> laughing because we're oh we're so modest you know we're so modest it's great but I do see it with other people and I think actually with my with my children you know stepchildren the dynamic there there's definitely their natural tendencies like you said like my son he doesn't like to be center of attention. And that's just who he is. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he is my son biologically, but he didn't inherit that. So he often will, yeah, he doesn't want, for example, if he does, I don't know, gets a great um school report. You know, I said recently like, oh, we're gonna go for pizza and we're gonna celebrate your report. And he was kind of like, oh, like shrinking. Cause he was thinking, oh no, everyone's gonna be looking at me. And you know, Yay. he doesn't want to celebrate in that way. So I think it's also, as you said, you know, I don't, in my friendship, in my women friends, we all love to gas each other, but some people also maybe that's not how they enjoy um celebrating success. So it's very it's very nuanced.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agree.
0: All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the Power Hour because, of course, this is the Power Hour podcast and I ask each of my guests to share with us their a personal uh, first hour of every day, so their morning routine or or how they start the day, why they start the day. And over the last four and a half years hosting this show, since writing my book, I have heard so many different things from the guests on the show and it's always interesting to understand why people do what they do with the precious time and the first hour of the day. So Dr. Joy, over to you. Can you tell us a little bit about what your typical first hour looks like?
1: (laughs) You know, I have to be honest with you, Adrian, because I feel like I have been like dreading this question um, because I'm just not a morning person and I never ever have been. But what I recognize about myself is that it is important for me to work with my natural rhythms. Right. So the, my first hour of the day is spent with like a little bit of stretching but because I'm not a morning person like I'm just trying to like get through whatever I need to do to like get the kids to school or you know to kind of settle into my day I really feel like my power hour typically happens between like 11 p.m and midnight <laughs> because okay. that, that is <laughs> that is the time when you know most other people in the house are asleep you know my husband may still be awake but the kids are in bed and like everything is quiet and I feel like I can really focus on on um you know like okay what did I do today what what needs to happen for me to set myself up for success for tomorrow um and I'm just not tending to anybody else's needs as opposed to the morning now I think if I got up early enough I probably could have this but again I'm just not a morning person and so I prefer for that that quiet time that reflection time um to come for me at a time that feels like it is more in alignment with my natural rhythm
0: Mm, yeah and that's essentially what the power hour concept is because for me it's first thing in the morning you know before the kids wake up but for Uh a lot of people it's not that time and I always say to them the most important thing I believe is about for me solitude it's the only time of the day when I can be by myself which I think is important but for other people it, it might just be that that is one hour or maybe 30 minutes if it's not a whole hour where they are exactly as you said putting their needs first without feeling like this is selfish, this is self-indulgent. Oh my goodness, how could... I hear it so much from women, I don't wanna discount men, but typically I hear this from women at the end of my keynote, or in the Q&A, people will say, they're like, oh, I just, I can't, I have so many other things to do, so many other people that need my time and energy and attention, that it just feels so selfish to say, I'm gonna take time every day For myself to walk or do pilates or have a bath or read they kind of almost laugh at it it's like read every day they're just like it doesn't you know doesn't work in this world so i think it's so important for people to hear that actually whatever time is about creating some space and some time for yourself you deserve that
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're right and I think you know as as women we often have been socialized to just give 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 to other people and the idea that an hour of, of the 24-hour day that you have would be selfish I think is something we really have to kind of train ourselves out of um, and you know even back to our earlier conversation around like boundary setting and people pleasing like I think the idea is that even if it's hard at first, like you do it anyway. Right. So even if there is guilt, even if it feels selfish, even if it feels laughable that you commit to doing it until it does feel more normal until it does feel restorative and as a thing that you deserve, just because you, you're probably handling a lot.
0: Mm. Yes. Oh joy. I've loved this conversation. I was looking forward to this all day. Uh, (laughs) Can you tell us where people can get the book here in the UK? When is the book available?
1: The book is available on June 29th in the UK, and you can grab your copy at sisterhoodheals.com.
0: Great. And where can people find more of you, more of your work and your podcast as well?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you can follow me across social media at Hello Dr. Joy. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and sometimes on TikTok, but not very much. Um, And if you want to learn more about the podcast, you can find that information at therapyforblackgirls.com.
0: Thank you so much. I encourage you, all of you listeners, please do dive in. I couldn't, I I mean, I've said so many good things about the book already, but I really, really enjoyed it. So please do check out all of Dr. Joy's work. I'm sure it's going to be very additive to your life and also to your sister circle and to your friendships and all of the women in your life. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And as always, I'll be back next week with another episode. See you.